Dan O'Donnell here alongside Dave Spano, the president and CEO of Annex Wealth Management. It's the difference, the intersection of politics and economics. Wall Street, K Street, Main Street, your street, all here. And Dave, I guess the word of this week, as it has been the past couple of weeks, is something you don't want to hear. You, you don't want to hear the word malaise anytime you talk uh, about economics. But alas, here we are. We're seeing a little bit of market malaise, aren't we? Yeah, we are seeing market malaise. And as you go through earnings season, it kind of kept everything buoyed because everyone was expecting this swoon, but earnings were better than expected. And as they came out, it was really kind of shocking to a lot of the participants who were wanting this bear market retest. And so that didn't happen. And of course, at the same time, the Fed has at least indicated and suggested that they may pause their rate hikes. And so that kind of kept things buoyed for a while. But there's no question we will be at the intersection of economics and politics over the next couple of weeks as the debt ceiling clock is ticking loudly. The two sides have got to get in a room and have this conversation. As everybody knows, there is a deficit, and that deficit is because we're spending more than we're taking in. Well, that's not news, but that gap is larger now, and that gap gets put on to the debt, the debt now at $32.5 trillion. And here's the real story, Dan, and, and we'll talk about this some more, is the fact that about 50% of all of the debt which are bonds issued by the government, are coming due in the next 36 months, and they're going to be paying a lot higher interest rate. Exactly. That, I think, is the story. And we've talked about that on this podcast. That's the story that everyone should be focused on, not what I would consider to be a largely phony game of chicken. I mean, did, does anybody really believe that in the year before a presidential election, we're going to have a debt default President Biden simply can't let that happen, and congressional Republicans have got to know that with Democrats' essential control over the mainstream media and whatever the national narrative is, that they'll be blamed if we do. I, I just, I'm going to go on record right now, Dave, and say there is zero chance that we wake up on, what is it, June 1st, mm -hmm. and the nation has defaulted on its debt obligation. Well, I just we, don't believe and it. And we don't know when the X date is. I mean, if you ask some economists, some will say early June, and some are now saying August, but you've heard Janet Yellen say that, you know, there'll be the catastrophic debacle. The question is, at what point do you have this conversation? I spent some time this weekend, Dan, looking at really the federal budget. Now, that's really a geeky thing to do, but I did it. I was going to say, yeah. way to spend your weekend yeah. doing fun stuff. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's that important. And you look at, yeah. you know, where the money goes, that all of that revenue, and about two-thirds of that, and this is their word, are entitlements. And entitlements are Social Security and Medicare and Obamacare and transfer payments. Unless you're going to cut entitlements, you're not going to have this conversation because about 12% is government military spending, and about another 7% is interest on the debt as of today. And again, that doesn't take in higher interest rate. And then everything else is small potatoes. We're talking about the money for education and transportation and policing. Those are small numbers. So where do you cut other than to looking at transfer payments? And either you're going to have to cut them soon, and I know no one's talking about it, and the Democrats certainly did a good job of pinning down the Republicans and saying they're not going to touch entitlements, but either you're going to do it now or you're going to do it later. So which generation are you going to cut, those today or those down the road? That's the only question. So ultimately, do you see Republicans 
caving on this or what? Yeah, they, they have to because they've already pinned themselves into that we're not going to touch entitlements. What are you going to do? Well, they're going to go back and get some of the COVID money. I think there's some bipartisan support there. There's going to be minor pieces. But you look at the amount of revenue that is coming in, they're going to say, all right, we have to jack taxes on their already overtaxed people, or you're going to have to spread the load out amongst the other 80%. And good luck, either raise taxes or cut entitlements. You can see why it's a difficult conversation. So is there waste? Probably. But, you know, where do you go through this whole budget and say, at some point, if you don't address Social Security, Medicare, Obamacare, transfer payments, support payments, we don't have enough revenue to pay out what we pay out. And that's ultimately the biggest problem. It was a very famous quote delivered by Margaret Thatcher. Eventually, the problem with socialism is you run out of other people's money. Well, that doesn't just apply to socialist governments, but it applies to governments that are very capitalist in nature, albeit highly regulated, and those that have massive social safety nets. I think, Dave, that the the breakdown in government spending that you outlined is one that people don't really account for. They don't really understand that something like 60 to 70 percent of the federal budget is mandatory spending. Yep. We, we have very little discretionary spending in our federal budget. And tied to interest rates, right? So when interest right, rates, right. inflation, and I don't mean to cut you off, but as interest, I want to put this on top of the point that you're making. When interest rates go up, that expands the budget. You know, Social Security recipients got an 8.7% increase in their payments. People need to understand how much entitlement reform is necessary. Right. That if we ever want to get our fiscal house in order, it's not about... You know, cutting out what conservatives always say, well, just cut out some of the racial equity stuff from the, okay, that's, you know, 2%, right? What needs to happen, and I understand, please don't misunderstand, I do understand that Social Security and Medicare are promises that the American government makes to people who pay in for a lifetime in order to get the benefits of those services upon retirement or upon uh, the attainment of the uh, Medicare age, right? Mm -hmm. So I understand that, that that is not possible, but the, the manner in which those funds are delivered clearly has to be because not only are we paying for far more retirees, I don't know if you've noticed, but people are living a whole heck of a lot longer than they used to be. So we're paying Medicare costs for everybody over the age of 65. Well, when Medicare was first conceived, how many hundred-year-old American citizens were running around who were on Medicare, right? Yep. So the issue isn't just we've got an aging population. We have got a greater percentage of retirees to working people paying into Medicare and Social Security in the first place. And in fact, people of my generation and younger, Dave, the 40-somethings, the 30-somethings, we don't believe that we're ever actually going to see a dime of mm -hmm. Medicare and Social Security, and that's a major problem. Yeah, that, that is a problem. And so right now, just not to freak everyone out who is getting Social Security right now, if nothing happens, if there are no levers, if you don't talk about the revenue into the Social Security system or the expenses coming out or one of those levers, if, if nothing happens in 2033 or 32 or one of those years, then there is going to be, if nothing happens at all over the next 10 years, then there would be a decrease in the payments that are received. So if you were getting $1,000 a month, you might now get something like 750 and I'm pulling those numbers out of my hat, but that is really what, what the story is. It would be a decrease 
decrease in the payment if nothing happens. This conversation's been going on since President Clinton brought it up. Think about that. That's nearly 30 years ago, and nothing has happened. There is a lever that's pulled. Either you raise the amount that goes in or you cut future generations even more, then they were going to have an issue. And then you talk about the rest of the transfer payments that are out there. And now you go back and go, why do we have inflation? You had 12, 13, 14 years of fiscal stimulus yep. and monetary yep. stimulus that has gone into the system. Well, now you're taking the punch bowl away. There is a lot of economic issues that have to be addressed in this country. Well, and that's why we, we talk so much about COVID stimulus, COVID stimulus. Well, right. We've had a weak dollar policy since 2009, and now it seems like the bill is coming due in the form of hyperinflation that we haven't seen in 40 years. And I'm still not sure what to believe on how deep or how long a recession is going to be. There's certainly some optimism that we might have a soft landing after all. I personally don't believe that, but that's just me. But Dave, what I think I'm hearing you say, and you and I, I believe, are in total agreement on this, is that this isn't a short-term problem. The, the problem of 0% interest and easy money is one that has been with us for a long time, and it did stimulate the economy. It brought us back from recession, but ultimately, could that have pushed us closer to even bigger problems, which we might just be starting to see right now? By the way, let's think about it even in a bigger picture. If you're China and you say the United States is a weakening power and we're going to watch how Ukraine does with Russia, they might just jump all over Taiwan. They might accelerate that process. So these economic issues have reverberations around the world. And so this conversation, and it goes back to how we started, is that this is probably just bipartisan baloney and that there isn't going to be, you know, brinkmanship and there really isn't going to be an answer that comes out of it. But at some point you have to talk about it or there will be a major issue. Right now, there is more debt than GDP in this country. And of all of the debt that's out there, which is significant, 50% of that comes due in the next 36 months. That was at about approximately 1.8% interest rate on all of that debt, Dan, is now market rates are, you know, 4 to 5%. You know, when that interest rates, when you pay market rates, it is going to squeeze out a lot right. of other things. There won't be a choice. Either you're going to say, we're going to pay our own debts, we're going to pay the bondholders what we owe them, or we're not going to pay some promises that were made. What else are you going to do? So this is coming to a head, and, and it's not just here at the United States, but it is down to local government. You can see what's happening wherever you're listening to us, but you can know for sure that's happening in the city of Milwaukee and the state of Wisconsin. But it's happening everywhere. Revenues and expenses have got to be addressed. We're seeing in the city of Milwaukee, it literally cannot afford to pay its police department. Right. So it's dependent upon shared revenue, even though there's been this massive influx of COVID spending. The state of Wisconsin is saying, OK, yes, we've got this six, seven billion dollar surplus. Governor Evers budget would provide a structural deficit. Think about this. We've got a seven billion dollar surplus. There would be a structural deficit in the budget within the first two years of its implementation. I mean, that to me is absolutely remarkable. Yep. I'll tell you what, though. If you want to deal with financial uncertainty, if you want a guide who can help you every single step of the way of planning your financial future, you just go to AnnexWealth.com. Get a free wealth metric 
right there. It's just that easy. It's a review of your portfolio, AnnexWealth.com. For Dave Spano, he is the president and CEO of Annex Wealth Management. I am Dan O'Donnell. Thanks so much for listening to this week's edition of The Difference. Annex Wealth Management is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. Opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect those of Annex Wealth Management, its producers, hosts, or guests. The host of the podcast is compensated for his endorsement of Annex Wealth Management. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice, or a recommendation or solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risks. Neither Annex Wealth Management nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.